Hello again, and welcome to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, where we are having real conversations with people who live and work in West Texas. This season, we are talking to small business owners and community leaders about their big dreams. They'll share about their challenges, successes, and even offer some helpful hints for keeping the small business dream alive. Listen in. We hope you'll learn something and maybe have a little fun along the way. Hello, Amy. Hi, Jared. <laughs> I'm apparently really excited to be here with Jared today. <laughs> uh, uh, I love Welcome. It. I love it. Uh, we are again on a road trip. Yeah. Took the podcast on the road with uh, Canyon and Amarillo and spoke with Dr. Alan Keister today. Yes, yes. Great guest. Great. I mean, what an honor to have him oh, on the podcast, it's right? It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about... Um, the goal of the podcast for small businesses and community leaders and something I think we touch on but we haven't really vocalized it a whole lot was that nonprofit being in that same ballpark and we really wanted to kind of make sure that they were represented mm -hmm. in this uh, arena because it's so important. Yeah, it is. The nonprofit organizations are so important to the communities that we serve and um, so Dr. Keister is probably the best that we could have found to, to speak yes. about um, nonprofit and to share his better. story. Um, for podcast listeners who don't know, Dr. Alan Keister is an Amarillo physician that started Heal the City back in 2013. He identified a desperate need for health care throughout certain neighborhoods within the Amarillo community. And, and so he started by offering free health screenings at various schools such as San Jacinto where organizationers, or excuse me, organizers saw more than 500 people in just two hours that Oof. first night that they went out. Yes, and today, Hilda City has grown to serve more than, are you ready for this? Okay, 30,000, 30,000 30, uninsured patients um, with a scope of services that includes chronic care, dental and vision care, laboratory services, and now they even have a pharmacy. So he wow. he and his team have done all of this in a relatively short period of time. So I know um, that our listeners today are going to be really um, excited to hear from him and, and the wisdom that he's going to have to share with our listeners on the podcast today. Yeah, yeah it's a great story. Let's just jump in. You want to dive do in? It. Yeah, all let's right, do it. Let's go. Dr. Keister, it is such an honor to have you with us today on the Spirit of West Texas podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. It's my pleasure. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you begin by telling our podcast listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay. So I'm a native Amarilloan, born and raised here, graduated from Amarillo High School. Um, from there, I went down to a little place called Waco, Texas, and went to Baylor uh, <laughs> University. And and did my medical school in um, Dallas at Southwestern Medical School. Um, while I was at Baylor, I met my wife, and uh, so uh, we married during my fourth year of medical school, moved out to Nashville, Tennessee to do my residency at Vanderbilt, and then uh, we moved back here in 2000. So I've been back here in private practice for about 20 years. Okay. Um, got four daughters that we've raised four here. Four daughters? Uh -huh, that's why I have this gray hair. you run a nonprofit <laughs> Listen, I got lots of practice at home. I'm yeah. to a nicer guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they're amazing um, young ladies. And it's been fun because um, they've actually um, all kind of participated in different ways of volunteering at Hill the City as okay. well. So that's been a real blessing to me to be able to share this sort of journey with my family, that yes. it's not something that's just my um, sort of project, but that my wife and my kids and even my parents have all been really involved in this project. And so it's been a lot of fun to 
to do this together and to serve together as a family. And especially, again, to come back to a community that's raised you mm -hmm. and really you've gotten to reap all the benefits of growing up here, people that have poured into me. And um, really, I've had... Um, uh, you know, just incredible experiences growing up here. And so um, being able to contribute back, to give back to the community that's raised me, I mean, it's been an incredible opportunity. You know, that is one thing I will say. We've we've done this a few times now. We've interviewed a number of small business owners and pretty much every single one of them when we've asked about how they've been able to build a successful small business have said that it was a family business and that their children and their spouse played an integral role in, in mm -hmm. the building of that business. So I love hearing that mm -hmm. over and over again. It's just not something you can do on your own sure. as a small business owner. Tell me, will you tell us a little bit about Hilda City and your ministry and what you do to serve the Amarillo sure. community? Sure. So um, it's kind of an interesting journey. I'll just put it like that. But let me just say that um, Heal the City is a um, nonprofit that we set up in um, 2014, um, basically set up really to provide quality health care to the uninsured of our community and um, to provide that health care in an environment that really communicated dignity and respect. And we wanted to communicate the love of Christ to our patients and the volunteers that work there alike. And so um, it was really a, a clinic that was born out of um, taking third world medicine and bringing it to first world. Um, so uh, a lot of the ideas and the things that we started at Heal the City came from journeys to um, third world countries like Honduras and Guatemala um, and um, in Nicaragua doing medical clinics down there. We took the things that we had learned down there and really brought them back and, and utilized them to come up with unique ways to take care of the uninsured here. Can you give me an example of that? Mm -hmm. For sure. So um, one of the things that we did in those clinics down in Central America was um, we tried to see whoever came um, but but what we did there was um, oftentimes it was taking care of their acute care needs but we did it in collaboration um, with churches with pastors so that um, as they were coming for to meet their physical needs we were also able to address and minister to their spiritual mm -hmm. needs um, we were able to empower um, pastors down there because we were the guests of those pastors. So for them and their communities, it was really a, a, a way to empower others as we were doing this service. So fast forward, come to Amarillo and, and rethink, how are we going to do this? Well, again, our mission initially was to provide urgent care, right. to meet the needs of those who were acutely there. We also did it really under a um, a setting where we were collaborating initially with um, Generation Next Church and um, a lot of the downtown churches. So we were able to build these collaborative um, relationships with um, different churches and, and to address not just their physical needs, but also spiritual needs and trying really to do whole person care for people who were really desperate for that. So I know that you started going out into neighborhoods and providing free health screenings. In the beginning in 2013 and 2014 when you were doing that, when you were just starting out, did, was the end goal always 
Hill the City and what it is today? You know, really it was, I was at a turning point in my life at that time where I was sort of actually considering whether I, I should go be a missionary down in Central America. And okay. there was a there was sort of a, a draw to that. I'd spent a lot of time in Honduras and I speak enough um, Spanish to be dangerous. Let's and so, <laughs> no, no, lo siento. <laughs> Mi español es muy mal. Yeah, Pero, no habla inglés. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. And, and my patients remind me of that, but they smile at me when I try and speak. But, but the reality was uh, my family didn't really feel particularly called to go live in a third world country. And so um, really was looking at opportunities. And so... Um, sort of the way we connected was um, our family had decided to sponsor one of the schools through Snack Pack. So we mm-hmm. sponsored Wolfland Elementary School, and I built a relationship with the principal over there. It was um, Kelly Simpson at the time, and so she allowed me to do my first health fair over there with her school, but we did it at the church that I was attending at the time. And, you know, we had a couple hundred people show up. It was it was actually pretty fun. And one of the ladies that came was a lady from Afghanistan. Uh, she came in, uh, found out that her blood sugar was over 400, right? And so that's high, yeah. So that's um, a diabetic that was really kind of out of control mm-hmm. that would have been a patient that would have ended up in the hospital at some point. So we were able to address her needs and and really connect her to to healthcare for sort of the first time, and and um, it was it was sort of springboarded. The next thing I know, I was called into the superintendent's office. I was like, oh great, <laughs> but they said, no, we want you to do more of these. We want you to do as many as you can. And you know, I learned a, a good lesson. My second health fair was on a um, Saturday morning, and what I didn't realize is I was. Com- with the middle school history fair. And it okay. turns out that it wasn't quite as successful as my first one. Um, the, the next one we did over in San Jacinto was on a Thursday night. Um, we collaborated with the school. We did it on their property. And, um, and one of the churches helped supply food for it. And, you know, we had 500 people show up that night for care. And one of the interesting things that we really delved into was, you know, where had those patients gotten their health care previously? And what we found, especially in that neighborhood, was a lot of them hadn't been seen by a physician in quite some time. Or if they had, it was maybe an encounter in the emergency room or, um, you know, they just hadn't had much in the way of health care. And so it was a real eye-opening sort of um, experience for me because I'd, again, gone to these places where there was, you know, desperate need that I, you know, but I had no idea there was sort of this desperate need as well here in Amarillo. And that, I think, to me was humbling when I can, you know, I can go around the world or I can just go down the street. And and I think that piece of it really took me by surprise um, the first time. It sounds like you started, what started out as you trying to figure out, what, okay, what's God calling me to mm-hmm. um, with, with the gifts that he's giving me? And he wound up revealing that there was a, a need here for what you, Correct. a need for what you offer and, and a need that you could address. So 2013 and the responses overwhelming to your clinics, um, where did you go from there? <laughs> well, it was funny. It wasn't where did I go? It was like what happened next? Because at the end of the day, the very next day after we did this, um, this screening clinic, I got a call from a guy. He said, I'm getting ready to buy a building over here in San Jacinto. We want you to put your free clinic in it. And I said, wait a minute, 
what Who said anything about a free clinic? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and seriously, um, you know, one of the, the funny things, I share this story some, is that um, during this time, I had a good friend of mine that we would eat lunch with each other each week. He was a pastor at our church. And um, we talked about this, what, am, what are we uniquely equipped to do? Not mm. what can I do better than you, right. but what am I uniquely gifted and equipped to do? And those are kind of dangerous questions if you keep asking them over and over. So my friend, he's now a full-time missionary in Taiwan. And, um, and so he was sort of called out and I was called here. And so funny thing about it is I actually had gone overseas um, to meet with him um, in Taiwan. And I get a phone call in the middle of the night over there. It's daylight in Texas. Um, and that phone call was from the Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation that said, hey, um, we want to fund your free clinic. Mm. Can you come meet with our board? And I said, oh, sure, I'll be back next week. And so I showed up um, jet lagged and with a dream and just shared it. And at that time, Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation was going through a transition in their mission too, to really reach out to do community health. And so it, it turned out that it was a sort of a perfect yeah, timing perfect fit. kind mm-hmm. of thing. The irony of this story though, is that I had all this idea about going and and getting in this guy's building because that was going to be the right place to do it. But one of the things that happened before we sort of launched this is, you know, we said, we need to be sure that this idea, even though it sounds good to to us, is it going to be what the people, the people that we're serving is going to be what they want? And so um, I met with um, a group of um, people from the community, um, parents from the school there in San Jacinto, and I said, we're thinking about putting this clinic in, in your community. And they said, that's great. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing it over here in this building. And they said, "Um, we won't go if you put it there. And Mm -hmm. I said, "Uh, why not? And they they said, well, we, we don't go to that part of our neighborhood after dark. And I said, well, that's a good thing to know before you put a lot of time, energy, and effort. And so I said, well, where's the safe place? And that's how we really got connected to Generation Next where we started. So it was kind of, you know, a lesson that was learned about that was sometimes you can have this um, great idea, but if you don't really tap into who you're serving and make sure that your great idea isn't is something that they really need mm-hmm. and that what they really want and so i think part of the reason that um hill the city has had successes we've tried to listen to the people we're serving and try to because it gives them again more dignity and respect when they feel like they've been hurt mm-hmm. and um so that's been um an interesting lesson that's been learned yeah. along this journey Practically speaking, how are you getting feedback from the people that you serve? So several different ways. Um, We specifically ask them. We have surveys that we give the patients after they've been there. Um, Part of um, what they do in the chronic um, care clinic, they're responsible for um, going to wellness classes. Mm -hmm. And so in those wellness classes, we get feedback about things that they want to 
um, hear about, things they want to learn, things that they want to um, experience. And so we take that and try and craft um, their wellness experiences to things that, that really matter to them. For instance, we've had a cooking class, you know, and the cooking classes are some of the best attended mm. wellness classes. And yet um, a large population of our chronic care patients are Hispanic. So we've had to be sure that we work with culturally appropriate right foods and things. And so, you know, it's just being sensitive to who you're serving and not make assumptions about them, but actually ask them. And those conversations oftentimes um, tell you things that you are surprised about and, and maybe didn't even know, but but they open you up to, to learning and, and really paying attention. And when people when people feel respected, when they feel dignified, when they feel heard, it turns out they behave differently too. So if I ask you to take this medicine and you really believe that I care about you, you're actually going to probably do that and be more consistent in it mm -hmm. rather than, oh, the doctor gave me this and I'm not even sure I should take it, right? right? And so so there's a lot of really focusing on that dignity and respect piece because most of the patients that we see are not used to being treated like that. Oftentimes, they're used to being treated um, the way they appear. And so some of them, you know, they don't, they, they don't dress as nice or they maybe don't, have, you know, aren't able to keep their appearances up. And so they're, they, they sometimes are treated as if they don't have value or don't have dignity. And so that's been one of our cores that we've really tried to communicate um, to our patients, but also just culturally communicating that, that this is this is who we are and this is how we're going to treat people when they come here and, mm -hmm. and experience this. I love, it's a great reminder to me, you know, we've got a lot of projects going on in the bank right now where we're looking at our, specifically our digital banking platform and the way that we're serving our customers through our digital channels. And there's so many different things that you can provide. And just to step back and say, okay, is this what really we need? Is this what our customers need? And are we looking at all of these products and services from their standpoint and really what's going to benefit them and help them um, with their, you know, financial future? Are we really providing a service for them or are we just putting stuff out there that's right. not really needed? I think that's a great reminder for anybody that's providing a product or service for their customers. Tell me, um, how do you... You just talked a minute ago about your, your brand and what you stand for, and, and you've talked about your vision. How do you communicate that? You've unified the city, I would say, through Heal the City. Um, how do you share this vision effectively with all of your volunteers and your donors, with your board? How do you do that? Uh, that's great. Great question. Well, um, from the get-go, we set out with a clear mission statement that I, I mentioned earlier. Um, the other thing is from the get-go, we've said no matter what happens, we're going to maintain this mission and this vision. And so when we start to have opportunities that um, maybe don't fit alongside of that, we've, um, we've really worked on this thing. Um, and, and the first year we had, a, we had the whole board read this book called Mission Drift, which the nature of any good organization is to have this mission that they set out for and they sort of drift from it. And so I think we had a we had a clear mission that we we set out with. And so what we've tried to do is make sure that that's communicated 
clearly over and over um, to um, our volunteers. So every year, um, whenever people, and obviously COVID has taken a hit on our volunteers, but um, in order to volunteer every year, one of the mandatory things was to do an orientation that I would have all the volunteers come to. And we would really just hammer down what our mission is, what our culture looks like, and and how important even the simple things are for our patients. So that if you're there and your job is just to open the door for people, that the smile that's on your face communicates the love of Christ to our patients and makes them feel welcome. And if they don't feel welcome from the time they walk through the door, it doesn't matter how great the doctor is back behind the door, because if they already feel um, not wanted or unloved in that place, um, they're not going to have the experience um, that we want them to have. And um, so uh, a big part of that was doing these orientations regularly. Another big part of it is when you see... um, so our staff is all bought into this. If you if you were to go and I brought any of my staff members there, and and I and you were to ask them why they work at Hill the City, they'd say I work here because I believe in our mission. And so we've we really have people that that's what they they believe that they're having the opportunity to make um, an impact, to make a difference in people's lives. And so when they when they do that and they go to work with that mindset. <laughs> They're just different people, and they communicate that to our patients. And our patients, all they can do is talk about how they've been treated there so that next thing they know, you're, you've got their family members coming in or somebody else who's – and I have, one of the questions I ask when patients arrive is like, well, how would you hear about us? And they're like, well, so-and-so taught me about this. Or, hey, the, my, my boss said I needed to come here. Or my you know, sister. So, so our, our reputation has been a lot of word of mouth. But when you, <laughs> when you provide a free product, it doesn't mean people will show up unless you provide a high-quality mm. product. And so what we've tried to do is provide that kind of quality product for our patients so that when they talk about what's happened at Hill the City, um, it's communicated in a, in a bigger way. So not just volunteers, but our patients have that same sort of excitement about what's happening there. You give people, if you give them a purpose and they buy into that, then all of a sudden they feel, they understand their value, even mm-hmm. if it's the person opening the door. That's it's absolutely so important, yeah. right, yeah. to any business. Um, you have experienced exponential growth over the past eight years. Huh. Um, how were you able to do that? What is the secret to that success? We know that you've established a need, right? But I think, you know, not every small business or nonprofit organization is going to have that same success. And on the flip side of that, what, what hurts? Where Mm. where were your pain points? What did you, what have you learned? Sure. Well, um, so, so it's, it's difficult because the need is so great. Okay. And so, my heart would be we take care of everybody that shows up and um we actually had to set some parameters up because i know you'll be shocked about this but there are some people that actually took advantage of us and um and there probably still are now but um really keeping again mission in mind and realizing that um 
people have been very generous to us and supplied funding for us. And so we feel like because of that, we have to be really good stewards of what's been given to us. And so um, with the growth has been, how do we do something that's going to be sustainable? How are we going to do it in a way that continues to provide um, whole person care rather than just have a line of people standing out outside and they just show up and we're giving out refills. So one of the things that happened was we, again, created, um, as this program grew, we realized that um, unintentionally we had sort of become the primary care providers for some people. We didn't set out to do that, but what we realized was there wasn't a resource for those patients as far as um, getting primary care. They didn't fit neatly into the resources that we have in the city. And so um, rather than keeping on refilling, 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 and having some people that did have a resource just show up for free medicine, what we had to do was create um, a program that we call our Shalom Clinic, our chronic care clinic. And so that was specifically set out to provide people that didn't have another resource um, the care that they needed. And, and so what that meant was some people that had been showing up that I'd become friends with because I'm refilling their medicines month after month, they were no longer able to use us as a resource because in order to be a good steward, we had to, we had to say the people that are getting refills are going to be the people that are in this chronic mm -hmm. care. And we had to figure out ways to qualify for patients for that. And so... Um, that was hard for me because there were people that I'd built relationship with that weren't going to be able to be served in the same way as before. But in order to control how we did things, to control the growth, and to, and to really provide the service that we were trying to do, we had to be um, mindful of the way we structured the organization. Um, and that actually has turned out to be really great because... The people that are in that chronic care program, we know they don't qualify for other places. We know they wouldn't get the care if we didn't provide it for them. And we know that, um, you know, we've gotten to really see um, the investment in those people, how it's paid off in dividends as far as for their health care. Um, pain points are trying to figure out how do you make that transition. And, and it's interesting because you know, we we outgrew the little building that we were in the first week we were in it. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, well, so where do you go from here? I mean, and we actually, we'd, we'd talked about, we had a, a church downtown that had offered to convert these apartment buildings into a full-time clinic. And we really, as a board, said, maybe that's what we should do. We were this close to moving out of the neighborhood we were in when the YMCA became available to us and, you know, miraculously it was one block over from where we started. And so there, there have been lots of those pieces. There's also been pieces where we've had other organizations that want to collaborate and partner with us. And so we've had to navigate who and how do you partner with people? How do you create win-win situations in these collaborative relationships. So, again, we've had great relationships with local hospitals because um, 
they love to have other people take care of their uninsured patients. <laughs> and so, you know, it's trying to trying to navigate the best collaborative relationships where Heal the City's mission is accomplished right. while we're still um, serving the needs, but also trying to do that in a way that's being the best steward of the resources we've been given. Um, COVID put a big hit on us. And it, you want to talk about a pressure point. You take patients that are the most vulnerable, who their resource for care has been to stand in a line on a Monday afternoon and wait until they are seen, and all of a sudden, hey, we can't have big lines and we can't put you in a large room and have you all sit together. Okay, that's our model for how we've done it right. since we started. So, okay, what do you do now? And so, again, you know, our staff is amazing and they, they came up with a pivot and here's what it looks like. And so now these patients that used to stand in line actually call and they get an appointment for an acute care visit during the week. So it's not just on Monday nights anymore. And and in a sense, it allowed us to do our mission even better mm -hmm. because standing in a line is not dignity, dignity or respect. Yeah. So it, it and we, and we, that, yeah, didn't it? Yeah. But, but we'd always thought we never wanted a line. Like that was never our goal to have a line. But what the line told us is, my goodness, there's a huge need. Like you wouldn't stand in line for three hours for just about anything. And people would do that. Maybe uh, Chick-fil-A. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Except Chick-fil-A moves so fast. Oh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, you know, this was, this pressure point provided a place for us to pivot right. and figure out how to do our mission better. So what else did you learn last year? You know, the, the pandemic, it was a year ago today that mm -hmm. we were declared in the state of a pandemic. Most oh. valuable lesson. Oh, uh, you know, I think the most valuable lesson, and you you and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, I only have three rules. I teach my staff. We only have three rules. I learned these on a mission trip to Central America. So the first rule is be flexible. The second rule is be flexible. And the third rule is be flexible. And so um, I always, when we take mission trips, I teach everybody those rules. And I said, those are the only three rules you have to remember. And so, again, this year, if nothing else, has taught us to be flexible. How can we best meet our mission need in this situation? And so, again, we had a model. We had to be flexible and change that model. We, uh, <laughs> we had all these things that we do for fundraising. Well, guess what? Can't do those anymore. Yeah. We've got to be flexible. And um, and what's been really overwhelming about it is that this community um, has um, supported Heal the City in so many ways that even though we couldn't have our traditional fundraisers, the, the funds that came in to our organization from this community are just overwhelming. But um, I think the other thing is we've had to be creative, so we can't do wellness classes anymore. So we had to, again, come up with some unique ways that we could do some wellness things through their cell phones, because almost all of them have mm -hmm. cell phones, so we were able to do that. How do you do a fitness assessment? Well, we've had to change the way that we do those things. But, um, but what's been interesting about that is that our staff has been able to um, flex with that and be able to, to serve our patients 
well. Um, and, and, you know, there's so many things. A lot of our staff actually got COVID. So we had to be shut down for a while and never in the world would I have dreamed that we'd be shut down. But in order to honor the health department's mandates and to make sure that our patients were safe when our staff got sick, we had to shut down for a while. And so again, it was just being patient. It works out. Be flexible. It's going to, it's going to work out. And then um, just because you see a bump in the road, <laughs> it doesn't mean you get to stop there. It just means we got to be creative and come up with solutions um, that are going to work to accomplish a mission. And what I can tell you is um, that's been the most gratifying is to watch the staff over there come up with unique solutions in the midst of all this. I read this quote on your website. It says, even with all the uncertainty that 2020 has cast upon the Amarillo community, Heal the City is proud to have stayed united and strong throughout the pandemic. How did you stay united? How did you keep your team united? Well, I don't know that I did it. I think I think at the end of the day, it was a mission-driven you know, um, organization, and we had to keep telling ourselves we were going to make it through this. Um, we kept seeing unique ways that God provided for us in the midst of this. So I can tell you that um, the minute that we had to cancel our big fundraiser because of, um, because of COVID hitting, um, you know, Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation called us up and said, hey, we know you're in trouble. How can we help you? So, and I had, I, I can't tell you how many people called and said, how can we help you during this time? And so, um, again, our community reaches out when they see people in need. And our community also recognizes when people are helping people in need. And so that, to me, just spoke volumes about who we're, who we're serving, but the community that we serve in. And so um, I think what we kept doing was saying, we're going to get through this. And we have to get through this because the people that we're serving don't really have another resource besides us. And mm -hmm. so we need we 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 had these people that we can look in their faces and we can go, we're making a difference, and they're scared to death. Um, one of the coolest things that happened um, this last year was um, through uh, the generosity of Northwest Texas Hospital and Texas Tech. Um, we were actually able to secure um, 300 doses of COVID vaccine. And we had a COVID vaccine clinic for our chronic care patients. So over 250 of the chronic care patients came and got their doses of COVID vaccine. Awesome. And they were literally, they were weeping because they said, we we never thought we'd be the ones to get this. Like we thought we'd be at the end of the line. We didn't think we would be able to get this. And so again, that's our community recognizing these are the vulnerable people and getting the vaccine to them. But then just to see them transformed out of this fear mindset to going, okay. And it was really an incredible sort of experience to be able to, to bless them with the the vaccine and things and so and I can't say enough about the way our communities you know given this vaccine out um, the health department Casey Stoughton those folks down at the Civic Center have done an amazing job but um, the Civic Center can be an overwhelming 
um, place to our patient population. They, they think of Hilda City as a safe place for them to be. And so for them to be able to come and get it there, it was pretty gratifying to be able to provide that for them. So you're leading and vision casting for an organization that's providing health care to more than 20,000 patients. How do you stay inspired personally? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, one of the, the coolest things that happens um, about this is that um, we have incredible young people that um, come and intern and volunteer at Heal the City. Um, so um, you mentioned before, I'm, I'm a Baylor guy. I went to Baylor undergraduate. And what? Uh, what? yeah, yeah, I know. Let that Where's go. The button? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the cool things, though, is that I've gotten to go back um, and teach a class there um, for the last several years. I had a friend that's on faculty. And one of the cool things is I've been able to recruit young people to come do a gap year. They come back and do a year before they go to medical school. They do a year with us. And one thing that they do is they help us collect data. So, you know, we don't we can't collect dollars, so we collect data, which helps us communicate why we need dollars. And so um, what's been inspiring to me is to see young people who are thinking differently about how to do medicine moving forward. So this idea that what we're doing is um, going to carry on. So when I see the young people that are that are excited, that are inspired, that are going in to medicine for the right reasons, um, it wires me. When I see young people that are on my staff that are the first people in their families to graduate college and they come and they want to serve at Heal the City, um, that inspires mm -hmm. me. When I see... Um, when I see the members of our staff um, that have chosen this over other things they could be doing, jobs that probably pay more, jobs that probably have better hours and are less um, maybe demanding, and they think that what they've been called to do is to serve at Hill the City, um, that inspires me. And then when I look around our community, there are so many great <laughs> things that are happening in Amarillo, Texas right now. There are people that are uniquely trying to figure out ways to meet the needs of Amarillo and bring good things to Amarillo. So new businesses that are coming, that inspires me. And, and again, when I listen to the stories of the people that we're helping, um, it encourages and inspires me. When I walk in, you know, I walk into a business somewhere in town and I'll mention my name and they're like, you run Hill the City. I go, no, nah, I, I helped get Hill the City started. And they'll say, well, my so-and-so got so seen at Hill the City. So when I hear about how Hill the City is impacting people around this community, that inspires me to go, we got to keep doing, like there are bigger things to do here. And um, so uh, that's, that's a long answer to a short question, but that, those are the things that sort of inspire me. When I see my children who've served there and they're wanting to go into healthcare or they're wanting to go into those kind of 
um, fields and serve because they've had that experience at Heal the City, I mean, that inspires me. We got to keep this going and we got to, we kind of be keeping creative and bring creative people here um, because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't hope that we have a Heal the City, you know, New Mexico or Heal the City, Oklahoma. I hope that we have physicians and young people and nurses that go out from Heal the City and do it differently wherever they are because they've had that experience here. And, and I'm getting to see that. You know, it's, it's been gratifying to me. Um, the first student that came and interned with us, he's a, he's a MD, PhD student at University of Michigan in epidemiology. It's top five program in the country. He'll do medicine different because he spent a year in Amarillo. I have a student that's at Harvard Medical School. She'll do medicine different because she's been here at Heal the City. So those things inspire, those, those young people, those experiences inspire me to keep dreaming bigger of what Heal the City can be. You've talked a lot about the Amarillo community, and at the beginning of this interview, you referred to you Amarilloans as Amarilloans. Is that a word? <laughs> Did I say that right? <laughs> Amarilloans, yeah. Amarilloans. That's a real thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm so, I'm so impressed mm-hmm. with what we've heard today from you and, and all that you've shared from your um, experience here in Amarillo with your fellow Amarillians. And for me personally, Dr. Keister, I talk a lot with my kids at home about being world changers. I don't know why we use that phrase, but we use that phrase a lot. And I have to just say, you are a tremendous example of someone who is using their gifts to change the lives of others in your community. And, you know, maybe not on the other side of the world, but you're certainly changing lives here in this part of our world. So I feel certain you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant one day. So thank you so much for being here. It's an Uh, honor to have you. Thank you. It's been fun. Appreciate it. Dr. Alan Keister. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was something a little different than what we've seen in other nonprofits uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see that they would run into the same struggles or conflicts that other nonprofits have, but then you tack on the word free and then right. couple that with the fact that they are in the medical industry puts a little bit of a different spin to this. Mm-hmm. Like I'll discuss earlier, offering a free service can sometimes be seen as not having the quality or right. care behind it uh, because it's free and you don't want that in the medical field mm-hmm. uh, but he was just the opposite yeah he was and I think that's because he's so focused on his mission mm-hmm. and you know he referenced that book Mission Drift and maybe we'll include a, an Amazon link to that book in, in our episode notes but um, it's really I think that's what I took most from his his interview today is just how um, he's 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 continued to be a vision caster mm-hmm. um, for the people that he serves and also for his volunteers and helping them to understand, okay, even if you're opening the door, you have a purpose and the way that you greet, even the, the, the expression on your face as you greet our patients, that, yeah. you know, is an extension of our brand and essentially furthering our mission. And, and that is to create, you know, um, an environment and, and to provide care, but to care with dignity, right? Yes, yes. Um, because everybody is valuable. You know, everybody deserves to be valued. And I think, um, you know, what a great lesson for any nonprofit leader or small business owners, just that you cannot deviate from your mission and your vision and who you are. You have to be laser focused on that yeah. at all times, 
or else your business turns into something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, well look, we, we've seen it time and time again. Opening a small business is not easy, mm-hmm. uh, but the ones that push through and have the uh, stick to mm-hmm. and any sort of longevity to them uh, all have a strong vision and mission in place mm-hmm. before they even think about the next step. Right. I, you know, I wanted to ask him, uh, one of the things when I talked to him yesterday, Jared, I wanted to ask him, were you ever overwhelmed by the need that you saw? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, he, you know, he got into it and it, he had no idea what was to come of it. And I wanted to ask him that, were you ever overwhelmed by the need that you saw? And I don't know that I get the, I, I didn't get the feeling um, from our conversation today that he ever was. I don't see him as a man who's going to be overwhelmed by anything. No. And we run into this word a lot, but pivot. Pivot, yeah. He and said he it. said it, and we have talked about it a lot. Mm-hmm. You have to have that. You have to be able to kind of be flexible. His three rules. Yeah. Number one is be flexible. Mm-hmm. Number two is be flexible. And number three yeah, that's pretty simple, right? Even I can remember that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to pivot in situations like this last year, you've got to be flexible. Um, Dr. Keister touched on this a little bit in the conversation today, um, Jared, but he, when he talked about the data that they collect and the feedback that they get, um, and you know, he, he, he talked a little bit on the phone with me yesterday about anecdotal, anecdotal data. So, okay. I've been inspired by the story that I just heard or the testimonial from that patient that I just heard. So I'm going to write a check for $500. And he didn't stop there. He's, he realizes, okay, our impact is so great that we're going to collect data. So we really know what the impact is that we're making on the community. We know how many people we're keeping out of emergency room, yeah. um, emergency rooms at hospitals. And so then I can take that data and I can turn around and I can use it. Um, to to be you know validate the work that we're doing here and show that the dollars that we're we're getting from donors is that we're being good stewards of those monies. Sure. And I think that's a great lesson for any nonprofit you know leader that's listening to this is you know it's very easy to for the, those anecdotal stories to sort of um, you know rise to the top and those are those are certainly um, powerful but also like how can you quantify your impact? How can you quantify that? Right. And so that you can show um, your stakeholders and your donors, hey, we are we are making an impact here and the money that you're giving is being put to good right. use. I think that's a great reminder. Sure. Yeah. It, if you can't show uh, mm-hmm. good use or positive progress with your mm-hmm. donation dollars, uh, they won't be coming back the next year. Right. Um, for podcast listeners that don't know much about Heal the City, we're going to have lots of information about um, Heal the City and also their website, HealTheCityAmarillo.com. You can find all of that information um, and some of the highlights from our talk today with Dr. Keister in the episode notes on our website at SpiritOfWestTexasPodcast.com. Okay. Well, uh, another good uh, episode in the books, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.